0: But I'm excited to be here. I am honored to speak this morning on Mother's Day. So I just want to say again, Happy Mother's Day to the mothers in the room, the ones watching online. Happy Mother's Day, mom. I know my mom's watching online. So throwing that shout out in right there. But like Miles said, my name's Tyler. I'm the youth pastor and excited to open the Word of the Lord with you. One thing I was thinking about as we were singing those first two songs, Miles mentioned this last week, but I wanted to kind of put it out there for us just as we're getting started, as we're getting settled that when we're listening, when we gather and we come and listen to the word of God, when we're worshiping, it's not just you and me that are hearing the words that are preached, the words that are being sung, but it is a, a banner, a headline, just like we have on the back wall here to the powers of darkness that they've lost. But at the end of the day, they've lost. And so the reason I bring that up right here at the beginning is I just want to challenge you if you're in the room this morning and maybe you are the mom who's like, okay, I'm trying to appreciate Mother's Day, but also had to get the kids ready this morning. It's a little chaotic. Maybe you're here, a mom who's here and the husband or father's traveling or just wasn't there to help you this morning. For those of us in the room who maybe feel disconnected, just know that there is an attack that we would not receive from this moment, but more powerful than that, the Holy Spirit's in the room that we would receive from it. So let's just come with that expectation as we open the Word of God today. Like Miles said, like I said, I'm the youth pastor, so that means I get to work with 6th through 12th graders, because if you're from Auburn, you know that we don't really have middle school and high school. We have 17 schools that they go through by the time they graduate. So I talk to other people and other youth pastors in place, and they're like, so do you guys split middle school, high school? I'm like, there's really no middle and high. It's a sixth grade school and a seventh grade school, and their jaws just continue to drop. And I'm like, yeah, we just are trying desperately to cram 800, 900 kids in schools that don't fit them. But it's amazing, and I'm grateful for it, and it's a lot of fun to get to do it. But the reason that I bring that up kind of right now is y'all are youth are very much a part of this church. And what I mean by that is one incredible thing that happens at ACC and has been happening as long as I've been here is that y'all embody, the reason we started saying go and be the church is because that had been happening of you guys take it and it's like, this is my faith. This is what I walk out. The youth are doing that too. The students are doing that too. Like I have... Multiple stories I could share, but like some examples are we have high schoolers writing, the topic is write an essay about a idea or person and they're writing on the concept of faith. We have people defending the historicity of the Bible, things like that. Just stuff that I'm like, who are you and how are you 13 and 16 years old doing these things? And so it's powerful this morning that I just... We're getting to the end of a season. College students have kind of left. We're transitioning into summer. Students, I know that y'all are ready for the school year to end. And teachers, I know you're even more ready. And so as we get into this transition, as we're looking towards summer, it's generally a really powerful opportunity to kind of reset and take a breath, even if it's logistically a little more crazy. I know parents, the end of the year, you got this party, that party, senior parents in the room. I know you got 17 graduation parties to go to, so that's going to be fun the next couple of weeks. But as we enter the season of transition, let's just lean in, and I would encourage you to ask the Lord what he's doing in you. And to that point, this is just a youth pastor pitch, throwing it out there. If you work with the sixth through 12th grade age range, if you're a teacher at one of the schools or anything, I would just love to know who you are if you call the church home. Not asking you to do anything. You can literally just email me, T. Miller, Auburn Community Church, and just say, hey, here's who I am. I would just love to know who of our people are partnering in that with us. But Today, we are going to pick up in our Acts series. We've been in the book of Acts following along the story of the church getting started. We're going to be in Acts 4. If you got your Bible, let's hold it up real quick. We'll just do a quick, quick Bible drill this morning. Incredible. Real quick, keep it up. This is incredibly random, but if you go by your middle name, like if your middle name is your name, I'm just so curious how many people that is like a good three to 5%. That's awesome. Okay, that's a thing. If there's a thing that happens, and I'm just, I was curious on the numbers. Let's open to Acts 4. We'll start in verse five. Just picking up some context where we're at reminding us. We're in a section of Acts that is centered around this one moment of a healing of a man who was lame from birth for over 40 years, and it centers around this for a good few chapters. And so David Marvin kind of walked us through that miracle of Peter and John walking. The man who was lame had been begging at the temple for a long time, and they looked at him, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they healed that man. Peter takes that opportunity to try to center the people of Israel, and here is the moment of redemptive history that you are standing in, and preaches a powerful sermon. From that, the leadership of Israel sees all this commotion. They're like, okay, well, this clearly can't be good. No questions asked. They throw Peter and John in jail for a night. They're like, let them just think about it for a second. And then we are gonna pick up right when they kind of bring them to trial, trying to figure out what's going on. That's where we're gonna pick up this morning. Acts 4, starting in verse five. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed." Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage or boldness of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we gonna do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to no longer speak to anyone in this name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all of the people were praising God for what had happened, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So if you heard it a few times, and this is just a a good Bible study note, when you hear repeating words and phrases, it's incredibly significant for that passage. So if you didn't keep count, I counted for us. The name, that phrase, the name, is used five times in those short snippet of verses. And so the title of this sermon is gonna be No Other Name. No other name. And if you're sitting here and you're like, what name is he talking about? If you forget, it's on the wall behind you. Right there, we put it up, big big letters. It's not wins. I don't know anybody with the name wins. I know it's a win, but it's Jesus. So that is the name of which there is no other name that compares to it. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Some powerful songs leading us into that. Just wanna contextualize it for us. Who are these leaders? Who are we talking about? Again, if you grew up in church, you probably know all these answers, but I just wanna set us up for that before we get into the passage. So verse five and six. The rulers, elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, lists a bunch of names, Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander. So what's important to note here, and Miles kind of touched on this last week. So we all know about the Pharisees and we talk about the Pharisees a lot because Jesus primarily of kind of some of the leadership talked to the Pharisees. Sometimes it's confusing, the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee. Those are big words. Just guess if you don't know how to write them down. It's just, we, we double letters here, double letters there. Just guess, whatever will help you remember it. So difference between the two is not in position or title. It's kind of like political parties. So a Sadducee could have XYZ position in the rulership of Israel, or a Pharisee could. Now more commonly, the Pharisees, because of their zeal for the law and different things like that, they were more kind of with the common people. There was a lot more of them. They were in more of like, you know, XYZ town has this synagogue, the dude in charge of it, the the priest there is probably a Pharisee more commonly. And the Sadducees had kind of gotten to the more, um, we'll call it the more lukewarm Christian to make it twenty twenty. I almost said 2022. I'm stuck in 2022 for some reason. I actually almost said almost 2021. So that's where my head's at. So kind of like the lukewarm Christians in that they had a lot of the high positions. So the Sadducees were kind of this group of people that had some of the ruling positions of Israel. Remember, Israel subjugated by Rome, but the political power in Israel for the people of Israel, the people of Israel respect the leadership of the temple. So chief priests, the chief priests as a whole class, the majority of them were Sadducees. And their kind of focus was in keeping the status quo. Their focus was political power. Their focus was, we're just, you know... Miles mentioned this last week, they kind of discounted a lot of the supernatural stuff. They were like, if it doesn't say it in the Torah or the rest of the scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, like we're not really going to deal with it. The Pharisees were very zealous for the word of God. The Sadducees were more like, ah, good moral code to go by. Let's just kind of get along with the Romans so they don't cause any problems. They had political power and so they wanted to keep it. And so when we see this group of people, Annas was the high priest for a while. He got kicked out by Rome. Most Israelites still thought of him as the high priest because they didn't respect Rome kicking him out. Caiaphas was his son-in-law. John was the guy who was gonna take over. Think um, like the Bushes or any political family you know now. They'd been in power for a really, really long time, this family, and they were interested in keeping that political power. So just, we need to know that as we head into what this is talking about. Let's reread um, starting in verse eight. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and asked how he was healed, know this you and all the people of Israel. So the people of Israel and the leadership of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This verse 11 is where we'll sit for a minute. Jesus is, now Peter quotes Psalm 118, but kind of interprets it for the moment. The stone you builders rejected. That rejected is different than every other usage in the Bible. If you know the Bible well, this verse is mentioned a lot throughout the Old and New Testament. Peter changes the word to kind of this like, you despised and rejected this stone, which has become the cornerstone. So let's focus in on that. Generally when there is a central passage that's being quoted over and over again, we need to understand what's happening. And sometimes, again, if you grew up in church, you read that and you're like, I completely understand what's happening. It's good. But for those who don't, we're actually going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us some context. Jesus quoted this verse one time in a very, very similar situation. You don't have to flip there, but if you want to look back, Luke 20 talks about it in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But back in Luke 20, Jesus, this is the moment that Jesus starts flipping tables in the temple, right? So the Pharisees had been out on Jesus wanting to kill him for a good amount of time by this point. They were like, this guy's a problem. He's turned over the law. He's not following the Sabbath rules. We're out on him. The Sadducees were kind of holding back. They were like, he hasn't really caused a problem for us. Not really going to do anything. But the moment that tips it for the Sadducees is Jesus comes to the temple. This is the week that Jesus dies. Jesus comes to the temple, starts flipping the tables, zeal for my father's house will consume me. And that's the point where they're like, this guy's a problem because he had been coming at their power, their peace, he thought he was gonna cause problems with Rome, so that's kind of where they decided, okay, we need to get rid of this guy, they team up with the Pharisees in that, but they come to Jesus right after he does that, and they're like, by whose authority are you doing this? By whose authority are you flipping these tables? He responds, as Jesus does, with a question instead of an answer, and says, okay, John the Baptist, where did he get his authority? Now remember, they don't believe in any supernatural power, so they definitely didn't think that John was sent by God, They also love their political power and know the people will riot if they answer incorrectly. So they're stuck. They're like, if we say from God, Jesus will be like, why didn't you listen to John then? If we say of man, then the people will riot because they hold John to be a prophet. And so they're like, "Uh, we don't know. And Jesus doesn't answer then. And he says, neither am I gonna tell you by whose authority I'm doing these things. Then he tells a parable that's a little intense. It's called the parable of the tenants right after that. And it's this vineyard. The master plants it, takes care of it, gives it over to tenants or servants to take care of the vineyard. Sends a messenger to check in. They mistreat that that messenger from the master. He keeps sending messengers to check in on the vineyard, check in on the servants or the tenants taking care of it. And they keep treating those messengers terribly. Finally, the master's like, I'm gonna send my son and surely they won't treat him poorly. In this parable, Jesus is like, they kill the son, thinking that they will instead inherit the vineyard instead of the son who was to inherit the vineyard from the master. And Jesus goes, so what will the master do when he comes back? He will get rid of and kill those tenants that have been taking care of the vineyard. And the people kind of freak out. The Sanhedrin are like, surely not. And then Jesus goes, well, what is it meant in scripture that says the stone the builders rejected has now become this cornerstone? And that is the moment that the Sanhedrin decides that they have to kill Jesus because they know that he's talking about them. So what we see here is this context of the people who were supposed to be stewarding the work of God, the leadership religiously. They were supposed to be stewarding Israel through a very tough time of Roman occupation. They had kind of given up the working of God for their own focus, their own name, their own power. And so we're sitting here reading this passage of a man who is healed. You know, they missed it with Jesus. That was a kind of weird one, right? Like he's flipping tables. That's a little aggressive. But this one, this is a guy that they had seen every single day. Think about that. He had been begging outside of the temple gates every single day. That was their workplace. Imagine getting to work every single day and there's the same guy there. They had seen this guy over and over and over, knew that he was lame, and then he was standing there in front of them healed. There was nothing they could say. There was literally nothing they could say. It says in the scripture, I think it's verse 14. There was nothing they could say because the guy was standing right there. It's as if they almost had it set up like this, like the Sanhedrin would be this group of people kind of circling me, me right in the middle and they're just grilling Peter and John. And they're like, we can't say anything because the guy who was healed is standing right there. They have nothing to say. And Jesus even mentioned that this would come. We're not gonna put the verses up. But in Luke 21, he mentions, don't even worry about what you're gonna say when you get brought in front of authorities. I will give you the words, words that they won't even be able to refute. That's being fulfilled in this moment. So the Sanhedrin, the leadership is standing there, this council of leaders of Israel standing there, seeing that God is working and they're focused. They don't even ask questions about that. They're somehow missing it. And so this passage and the passage where Jesus comes at them is getting us to ask, why are they missing it, right? Like you and me would both say, hey, if we were in the room and a dude that we had seen for 40 years was now walking around, I'm in kind of thing. Like that's pretty cut and dry. So how are they missing it? That's what this passage is trying to get us to ask. And the answer to that is in the question that they asked Jesus and then Peter and John. Their struggle is not, you know, what happened? Did this actually happen? Did they they fake it or something like that? They kind of just ignored the miracle itself and instead came at their authority. They said to Jesus, by whose authority do you do this? They ask Peter and John, by what power or what name do you do this? And the insinuation in both of those questions is, it wasn't by our power or our name. Their problem, the religious leadership at the time's problem with both of these instances is not that the miraculous happened. Their concern is not the working of God in the moment. Their concern is that their authority, their power is threatened. Their name, their standing, their control is threatened. So the leadership of Israel missed the sending of God's Messiah and the inauguration of the new kingdom because they were attached to their own name and authority. And so that leads us today. We kind of sit here and we're like, all right, that's great. They missed it. I wouldn't have missed it. You know what I mean? I would have seen that guy standing there and been like, I'm all in. But sitting here today, we all have a name that we are more attached to than the name of Jesus. To put it another way, got to slide down to the line here. When we struggle to see God working in the world and in our own lives, when we struggle with our zeal, with our passion, with our focus, it is because there's a name more important to us than the name of Jesus. To make it a little more blunt, we don't walk in the power of the spirit because we don't walk or live in the name of Jesus. And so that is true for all of us. I just want you to think about when we leave here today. We're gonna go home, we're gonna be like, okay, maybe this stuck out to me, this was a good, you'll have a conversation with your spouse or your community group later on. But then slowly but surely, the weight of what happened maybe in this moment, maybe in a quiet time, maybe something powerful that the Lord spoke to you, the weight of that slowly fades. Now, part of that is natural, we're emotional people and we get kind of energized in a moment and that fades, that's normal and that's fine. But what slowly starts to happen, at least in my life, maybe this is not y'all, but I start to doubt what God said because I don't see the result happening. And it's because I went back into the rhythms of self-sufficiency in my own life of I'm gonna figure this out myself. I don't know if y'all know this, but Auburn is like designed to, we'll figure it out ourselves. It's a great place to live, but it is a place, and let's be really honest, where most of the time in our daily life, we do not need the spirit to come through for us. We don't need the power of the spirit to do anything because we're living for our own names and our own authority. We're pretty self-sufficient people. We're pretty capable people. We got in general, a ton of resources in this community. And so we can figure it out ourselves. Something crazy, I literally just heard this morning in like 1939, FDR came here for some reason and was giving a speech to Auburn. And the essence of his speech was pretty much speaking over this community the idea of, I want Auburn to be self sufficient. And now, from the world's eyes, that's a pretty good thing. Like, that's a pretty solid concept. But for us as followers of Christ, you're not supposed to live self sufficient. We're not supposed to live under our own power. Our own power is weak and meaningless. If it's done by my name, by the name of Tyler or his own power or his own strength, it is ultimately meaningless. Jesus said, we cannot do anything good apart from him. And so the challenge today is we're reading this and we're like, how could they be missing it? The guy was right there. We live in a culture and a region of the world and in a time and place where those spiritual powers of darkness that we were talking about before do not want us to consider anything spiritual whatsoever. So because of that kind of lullaby that lulls us to sleep in our daily lives, we start to miss what the Spirit's doing. We struggle to see what the Spirit's doing. I'll give you a perfect example. Most of the time, and this is just me guessing slash talking to my wife and and some of our friends, a lot of the time, moms, when you're at home with the kids or trying to get ready, you do not see the spiritual weight of the moment you're in because you're exhausted. Any amens for moms? Anybody agree with that? Most of the time you are sitting there and this is, your job is exhausting. It is, it's insane, but you're sitting there and we get so focused on gotta get them here, gotta get them to that, gotta get them food and all of these things that we are very rightly concerned about, but we get worn out in our daily lives and what we're called to do because we are missing the weight of the spiritual moment that we're actually in. Peter is trying to get the leadership to wake up to the fact that you have an opportunity right now. Yes, you rejected the stone that has become the cornerstone. God has raised him to life, but you have an opportunity to turn to him now, wake up to the spiritual moment that's happening. And so in our own lives, we have this opportunity to kind of shift our perspective from our name to the name of Jesus. When Jesus' name is the highest in our lives, we start to see God working. You're trained to buy into this lie of your life, your pleasure, the American dream. You're not trained to think about actual purpose and meaning, and so we as this body of believers have to shift our gaze from whatever idol takes the throne of our heart to the name of Jesus being the highest good in our life. We are living for the name, there is no other name. And so when we start to do that, we start to see the spirit working in our lives. So let's reread verse 13. This is kind of their response. They saw the courage of Peter and John And they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men and they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. The two words there are are just basically concepts of they had no training and they honestly shouldn't have been able to argue or make a case as good as they did in that moment. So the leaders there are shocked by the capabilities that these two show and then realize that they had been with Jesus. And so this is just kind of a side sermon. If I'm saying this and I'm like, we gotta live by the name of Jesus, we struggle with self-sufficiency in our lives and you're like, you don't know what I've done, God can't use me. God is not waiting for you to be equipped, for, get, for you to get the right degree, for you to have the spiritual experience. He's not waiting for you to be equipped and have all the right things. He has equipped you because he's with you. It doesn't matter where you're at. Like dad's in the room. We just had um, a senior event called The Blessing. Dad's speaking life over their seniors. Guys and girls that kind of split up, they sit right across from each other. It's incredibly powerful and emotional. Dad's in that, and this is every single year. There's moments where the dad is like, oh my gosh, I have missed some of the opportunities with my senior, but it's powerful because the spirit turns and even redeems that in the moment. But I know dads, there are times where it's like, you do not feel equipped or enabled to lead your family, to lead your spouse, to lead your kids. Moms, there, is, there are days where you're like, I cannot focus enough to even just pray for my kids right now because I'm so worn out. It is just Tuesday and we haven't even made it through most of the week. There are times consistently in our lives where we do not feel like we are equipped, but that is where we miss the spirit has now come to be with us. Jesus is with you in those moments, empowering you to live for the name of Jesus. And when that happens, we start to see the weight in our lives. We must know the person behind the name. And the point is that they had been with Jesus. That's what shifts it. And so if you're in the room, you're like, hey, yeah, but they were physically with Jesus, we're not. Let's jump into the points. Point number one, the challenge for us to live for the name of Jesus is be with Jesus. And what I mean by that, Jesus said, I promise I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's better that I go and send the spirit to be with you. What all of the prophets and all the people of God who did incredible things in the Old Testament were looking forward to was the promise that we have now, the promised Holy Spirit as a deposit in your heart, you have God with you. And so we have to get away. We have to create the space to actually spend time with Jesus. And a lot of times, because, y'all, I'm telling you, because of the culture that we live in, it will not feel like anything happened in that moment fasting, spiritual disciplines, prayer, silence, time away, time separate, will, you will sit there. This was me most of this week. You will sit there and be like, what on earth am I doing? I just keep thinking about this, this, this. I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And the whole effort for 30 minutes is me just trying to still myself a lot of the times. But there's a spiritual reality that's happening of just being in the presence of God starts to draw you away from the way that you've been deformed by the world and forming you more into the image of Christ. Peter and John literally were, John was one, the only disciple who was at the crucifixion and that's really just because he loved Jesus so much and he loved the women that were there who were bold enough to be there at the crucifixion. Peter denied and ran away. And so what shifted is the Holy Spirit came and now the Holy Spirit was with Peter. Jesus, uh, Peter saw the resurrected Christ and now in the power of the Spirit was filled for these moments to speak out the truth of the name of Jesus to the world around him because he had been with Jesus. Yes, theirs was physical and ours is spiritual, but truthfully, and it doesn't feel this way to us, what scripture says, it's Hebrews 11. They literally looked forward to where we would sit in this reality more so than the way they experienced it. You have the spirit of God with you when you leave this place, when you walk tomorrow morning. And because of that, we have to take seriously creating the space to be with Jesus. It's hard to live for the name of somebody that you don't know personally. Going back to the apostle John, he walked with Jesus, talked about himself like he was Jesus' best friend, because he was. Peter was kind of like the spearhead, let's go yell and talk to everybody like that. Um, And Jesus was like, all right, Peter, good job. Just calm down. John was who Peter kind of drew back and had conversations with. John was the apostle whom Jesus loved. John's writings are filled with this one theme. Jesus was my best friend and he can be your best friend too. Over and over again, he basically says, in the same way that I knew him, you can walk with him. In the same way that I knew him, abide in him. In the same way that I knew him, remain with him. Pray without ceasing, walk with the spirit of God and you will know Jesus. We are united with Christ through his death and through his resurrection. That's what the symbol of baptism is. It's these stories of power of people saying, I went from death to life because I experienced the person and the power of Jesus. And if you want an example, you want tangible real life examples of what that looks like, go back and watch baptisms. And if you want a tangible example why the name of Jesus is so significant, there's one story that sticks out to me. This girl was talking about kind of atheist background, different things, had gone through some trials in her life, felt like there was this voice kind of giving her comfort and keeping her safe in different moments, didn't know who it was. And the most powerful moment of her entire testimony when she paused, took a deep breath and said, he waited until that moment when I felt most alone to reveal his name to me, Jesus. And you feel the entire weight of this room just sucked out. And it was dead silent in that moment because the name of Jesus conquers strongholds, break through barriers, and can change the lives that we walk. We have all of these. Re- we, we don't need the spirit in our day-to-day life, how our culture sits. And you might be sitting here and be like, yeah, but I got the school debt and you don't know about these things. Guys, wherever you're at today, we're in like the, I think the the stat is we're in the top 1% of wealth ever in entire human history. Like we're gonna figure it out and we're gonna be okay. That doesn't mean that we're not going through trials. That doesn't mean that it's not hard. Jesus promises that we'll go through trials, but we miss the weight of what's happening because we don't take the time to be with Jesus. So that's point number one, be with Jesus. Point number two, be where Jesus is. Be where Jesus is. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. We are the body of Christ. There's an elevated level. Like literally when you come here, when you walk into this building, you might be like, all right, dressed up. It was exhausting getting everybody ready, getting here, getting a parking spot, finding a seat, all the stuff. I should have gone to the bathroom and now I feel like I can't. Whatever it is, wherever you're at today, that was for somebody specific. If you feel like you have to go to the bathroom right now, something about what I'm about to say is for you. That sounds weird, but I believe that. Oh, it's good. When you walk into this space, we are promised that there is an elevated level of who Jesus is here because we're here, not because we have this nice building. This was true when we were sitting in the tiny little Trinity Lutheran Church meeting at 5 p.m. and it was a projector falling over and it was incredibly awkward and there was 40 people and Miles had a buzz cut and it was amazing. <laughs> All right. The same power was there because we were gathered together. There's an elevated level of the presence of God when we come together, and it's not just in the space. We don't just live for Sunday. How many of us take times out of our busy schedules? You know what, I'm not gonna do that practice, do that meeting, do that thing, so that I can just have a meal with another family in this church. When we come together, there's something, again, spiritual that you cannot see that's happening when we are being built into the body of Christ together. When we come together, there is something that is happening that is transforming you into the image of Christ. And so what we need to see today being with Jesus and be where Jesus is, is that we are transformed to the image of Christ. We start to more easily live for the name of Jesus and it becomes very evident in our lives when we're doing that, when we've been with Jesus and when we go where Jesus is. We get filled up as the body of Christ to then go out and be the aroma of Christ, the salt and light to this world around us. It's hard to do when we look just like the world around us. When we don't stand out, there is nothing, nothing that is going to draw people into this. Yes, we have this amazing building, and it's like, hey, you know that huge building that somebody low-key said looks like an ark to me? And I was like, that's kind of hype. And it does kind of look like an ark if you see it from the right angle on the road. It's easy to draw people here. It's an incredible building. But like nothing transformative is gonna happen unless we, the people here, the body of Christ, are living for the name of Jesus. Most of the you, this is just a side note, most of the you in the New Testament letters are actually y'all. It is us, the body of Christ, us to, to do the ministry, us being built into the household of God, us, the new temple of the spirit. And I example of this actually stopping and praying with your spouse intentionally at night. Yo, the, again, I'm a pastor in theory, right? I'm like, you should be killing it at this. That's incredibly challenging at times, even for me. That should prove to you that there's a spiritual war going on trying to get you to just coast through life because we live in a comfortable place. When you stop, I'm saying stop and be like, okay, what did I feel like the spirit was doing today? What is happening in your life? How are we coming together? How are we praying for our kids? Small moments like that is us being where Jesus is because he's about that. He is about the blessing where fathers are speaking life over their students. He's about moments where we come together and we're acting as the body of Christ because that's where we are being built into his family. We devalue some of the primary places God wants to work because they feel very mundane to us. So as we think this out, we got to ask those questions. Where are you trying to work? Remember, the man who had been healed, they saw him every single day going to work and missed the opportunity for God to move because they were more concerned about their own name, their own authority. So what is the result? The result when we start living this way, when we start actually living for the name of Jesus is an uncontrollable fire that starts to burn out of all of us. 18 verse 18 then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all speak publicly or teach privately at all in the name of Jesus but Peter and John replied what's right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard when you know the person of Jesus it is like a fire that you cannot control inside you to put it another way the Prophet Jeremiah says it this way, if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, I am weary of holding it in, I cannot. There is no other name that promises salvation and life to the world. No other worlds, no other religious system or thought process anywhere claims the title savior of the world other than Jesus Christ. No one else promises healing both now and forever. The man had been healed Saved in that moment from being physically lame but also saved eternally because of the spiritual weight that God was working in that moment. And so what we see in this is we have to ask, Lord, what is it that you're calling me into? Where do I need to be with you? Where do I need to be where you are so that this does actually turn into a fire that I cannot keep back? Moments that you know the spirit of God is telling you to step into it and you're not hesitating because of awkwardness or because it would be weird or because potentially there'd be a problem with your job. We're getting to that point where it's like, mm, we might just have to lean on the name of Jesus a little more than the position that we hold. Where the name of Jesus might actually have to become more important than the safety and security that we hold on to. And I'm I'm not saying that that's true for every one of us, but it's true for a lot of us. And it's getting more true by the day. The church of God is not inviting to the world around it when it just looks like the world around it. Peter tells us why we wanna live for that name. He says in verse 12, salvation's found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Sanhedrin, the leadership of Israel had no power to save. Jesus is the only one that has authority to promise salvation, but also it's a universal invite. He's the savior of the world. So if you feel far from God today, his name is available to you right here and right now. There's a moment from the blessing. I keep mentioning this, the blessing, again, think dad sitting in a chair right here, knees touching son or daughter right across from them. One at a time, going down the line, speaking a blessing over their student. And so there was one from this past week. This was literally last week that I just wanted to read that kind of encapsulates where we've been today. There's a dad speaking to his son. When I think about leaving a legacy, when I leave this world, you are exactly who I would pick to carry on that legacy and keep our family name in good standing. But as I have learned over the years, it is not our name who needs to be remembered when we die. It's how we honored, lived, worshiped, and spread the name of Jesus to others and let them know what he has done for us. That is the legacy that we wanna leave. We all wanna lead good families. We all wanna leave an impact on this earth. Even if you don't feel that pull, it's deep inside of you, it's just been buried or hurt by past experiences, or this world that tells you not to care too much. We all wanna leave a legacy. But the truth of the matter is, is this world around us is telling you, telling me to build a legacy that will fade away. Scripture puts it this way, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this firm foundation using, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, meaning it had meaning, it had eternal weight, it was built with those costly stones that take time, that take focus, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer a loss, but yet will be saved even as though one only escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple." The college degree will burn away. The house will burn away. The boat will burn away. Money will burn away. Titles will burn away. The idea that people thought highly of you, that you were a good family in Auburn will burn away. The pride of a a child going to the good school and getting the good job, that will burn away. Jesus says it this way, whoever seeks to find their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake, for my name will find it. And so the challenge today is not, I am not saying that we shouldn't live in this culture, that we shouldn't participate in the things that are around us, that we shouldn't aim to do good at school or sports or succeed at our job or attain or earn. I'm not saying any of those things, but under what name are you doing those things? Under what name am I doing those things? It'd be very easy. We have an amazing building. And I was just saying, our students are amazing. It would be incredibly easy for me to be like, you know what, ACCU is gonna be a thing and we're gonna get this many kids and it's gonna be amazing. And it's gonna be awesome because I'm in charge of it. That lie, that draw is so easily and ingrained in our churches today. But instead there is no weight or value in that. When that is done, it's all empty. And so in what way do we need to shift our focus to live for the name of Jesus instead of living for our own name? Go ahead and take your communion sets out. What we're gonna do to close, go ahead and get settled and then I'm gonna read a scripture over us. But this right now is an opportunity to both be where Jesus is, elevate a level of God's presence and be with Jesus. Part of the reason that we started doing this every single week is communion. The Lord's supper is a sacrament given to the church as a means of grace to know him more, not to be saved, in doing this, you're not saving yourself. It's not what I'm saying. But What I am saying in doing this, there is a very real spiritual presence of Jesus Christ, your savior, my savior present with us as we take these elements. And if you're not in Christ, just go ahead and put that back under your seat. This is for the people in the family of God. But as we take this, I would go to your savior, savior, my savior, personally, I can't do this for you. I can't want this for you. Go to him and ask him, whose name have I been living for? And how can I live for your name above every other name? As we get settled on this, I'm just gonna read this passage over us and then pray. And you're gonna go into a moment yourself with the Lord. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable God, to God through Jesus Christ. What you do with your life matters. You're being built into that now. Wait. spiritual power is being given to you in this moment. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who not, do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. In this moment, I can't, again, I cannot want this for you, but ask the spirit of God that you would not be the one stumbling over the name of Jesus. That just because you're here, because your family goes here, or this is a cool church, or you like what we do, but you live just like the world around you, don't let this moment go by without asking the spirit of God, don't let me stumble over the stone. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for, but you are a chosen people. God shows you from all the people in the world, he chose you to be here in this moment, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Father, we come to you in this moment as your children, whether close or far, knowing that because of the name of Jesus, There is no other name that offers salvation or a way to come close, but because of the name of Jesus, we have a way to come close. We who were once far from you have an opportunity to come close here and now. And so Lord, as this message goes out, as we sit with you, as we take these elements and aim to just hear or catch a glimpse of who you are, would you make yourself real in this moment, showing us that our lives lived for our own name or the name of our family or our job or whatever success or thing that we aim at in this world will burn away, but a life lived for your name, the name of Jesus will never burn away. Father, give us strength in this moment. Would you come close to the brokenhearted and the suffering? Would you empower those who feel on top of the mountain today, but for all of us, where we catch a glimpse of you in this moment, because a moment with you changes everything. Guide us into more of you and help us walk from here in the power of the spirit and under the name, the headline and the banner of Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus name, amen.